afraid of the response they might get, okay? They don't know how. They don't know how, sure. They feel like I'm quite up to the task. They feel inadequate. Fear of people. Fear of people, okay. Mm-hmm. You might say they don't have the time. They don't have the time. It's like you've read the notes. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, well, I hope that this class today will help you see that there might be some barriers, maybe even unconscious ones, that are inhibiting your fruitfulness in intentionally, spiritually encouraging relationships. But even if you aren't hindered by the issues we're going to discuss today, I bet someone that you spend time with is. So, thinking very clear about the barriers and excuses, not engaging in discipling will help you even better disciple others that you influence. Okay, so in this class today, we're going to specifically look at five excuses. And to think about the excuses, we can put them into three categories. A problem of theology, which is excuse one and two. A problem of complacency, excuse number three. And a problem of inadequacy, excuses four and five. So again, theology, problems one and two. A problem with complacency, three. And a problem of inadequacy, Excuse four and five. So excuse one. I don't want to be in a position of authority. Sometimes people don't want to be placed in an authoritative position. As it is in our culture, as it is, our culture breeds independence. So the notion of having an authority or being seen as an authority figure is not so appealing. Even less so than the desire to teach and instruct others. So how does the world describe authority, and how do you think about it? It's oppression. Oppression, yeah. Yep. I'm thinking that's how you think the world thinks about it, not how you think about it. Yes, the world thinks. (laughs) That was the question, right? Yeah. Dangerous. Dangerous, okay. Like the police. Easy to abuse. Easy to abuse, yeah. One directional. One directional. Uh, maybe agenda laden, or uh, yeah, I guess that goes along with misuse. But sure, yeah, it's always got an angle. Um, <clears throat> as Christians, we want to know what the Bible, how the Bible pictures authority. Jesus models authority for us. Consider how the scriptures refer to Jesus' teaching as authoritative. In and through Jesus, we see the proper posture of one in authority, that is, of a loving servant. Jesus sets for us the example how an authoritative figure can be a loving servant leader. This is from John 13. Jesus says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then... The Lord and teacher washed your feet, so also ought you to wash one another's feet. J. Oswald Sanders, in his book Spiritual Leadership, says says the following about what he calls the master's master principle. Quote, In light of the tremendous stress laid upon the leadership role in both secular and religious worlds, it is surprising to discover that in the King James Version of the Bible, for example, the term leader occurs only six times, three times in the singular, and three times in the plural. 
That is not to say that the theme is not prominent in the Bible, but is usually referred to in a different term, the most prominent being servant. It is not Moses, my leader, but instead Moses, my servant. The emphasis is in harmony with Christ's teaching on the subject. This is from Matthew 20. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to come become great among you shall become your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his right life as a ransom for many. Have this attitude in your heart, the attitude that puts the other person's welfare ahead of your own, You'll find even though discipling puts you in a position of authority, an attitude of sacrificial love will wed initiative with service and humility. We are not lording it over others when we disciple them. Rather, we are serving them, even if they don't entirely perceive it as such. We should be very careful to have an appropriate view of authority in our relationships. Biblical authority is not abusive authority. It's servant authority. Ask yourself, am I displaying the servant-hearted love of Christ in my use of authority while discipling? Am I using it for my glory? Am I leading them to God's word or to me? Discipling often looks simply often, discipling often simply looks like coming alongside someone and encouraging them or influence them to greater faithfulness in their walk with the Lord. When talking to them, When taking them to God's word and not to your own personal opinions, you are being a loving servant. Don't get a big head about yourself if if God uses your service in this way, but do rejoice in God's goodness to you to bear fruit in the lives of others. Okay, excuse number two. This is also a problem of theology. Intentional Intentional discipling relationships turns friends into projects. So some people may object... If I engage in a relationship with another Christian that is at its heart deliberately focused on encouraging them spiritually and not merely on enjoying their company or friendship as the primary goal. The fear is that if if you do that, then you reduce the reality of your friendship and you have made them merely into a discipling project. To help us understand and deal with this second objection, it would help us ask ourselves this simple question. What is real biblical love and friendship anyway? What is real biblical love and friendship? Okay, putting another person's needs ahead of your own, yes. Jesus loved us. 
If we recognize the example of Jesus' love for his disciples as a sort of model, then we cannot conclude that real love is merely affirming affection and camaraderie. Jesus loved by setting out fundamentally to do eternal good for others as a supreme mark of his love for them. Let me just say that again. Jesus loved by setting out fundamentally to do eternal good for others as a supreme mark of love for them. Last week we read Jesus' words to his disciples. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So Jesus' friendship was shown by revealing his Father's will. Did you hear that? Jesus' friendship was shown by revealing the Father's will. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Friendship is shown by sharing the Father's will. They are not merely a project to him, but he loved them by revealing truth. Listen to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, here we see Christ's desire to set out to do good for all his children as a grand mark of his love for them and as a pattern for us to follow. We are to live a life of love for others just as Christ lived a life of love for others. Real love sets out purposefully to do spiritual, eternal good for the beloved. That said, it is possible to make people into projects. We can make a friend a project by demanding a rigid adherence to some set program or to not being concerned with the actual feelings of our friends or by throwing simple Bible verses without taking time to understand why they are struggling. So, just a question to you. How can we avoid making people into a project? What do you think? Remember that it's Christ that changes people, not us. Yeah, good. Yeah. And if we fail, or that was what I was going to do, I was trying to work. If they don't convert, it's not because of us, it's Christ who got you. Right. Otherwise, you can become discouraged. Sure. All right, so how do we avoid making people into a project? Alongside them, not <clears throat> being like domineering over them. Alright. Kevin, I think of that old line is one beggar telling another where to find water. We never can forget that mm. we're in the same situation. That's good. Listening. Not just hearing, but really listening to the person you're trying to disciple. Alright. Good. At the end of the day, we need to be faithful to God and to his scripture. There will be times when we have relationships with people who simply will not feel loved by intentional relationship focused on their spiritual good. Sometimes this happens because they believe your your intentional discipleship is out of a sense of obligation, not out of any sense of really loving them. Other times it will happen when someone really doesn't believe that caring for their own souls is the most important thing in their life. For many of you, a relationship focused mainly on spiritual encouragement may be emotionally unsatisfying. I encourage you to maintain a good balance of gentleness, kindness, and clarity on this point. We want to be kind and gentle, 
to help a person understand and perceive the love we have for them in Christ. At the same time, especially with less mature Christians, we don't want to see your <coughs> you don't want to see your way of relating to them being driven by their felt needs. Rather, you want it to be shaped by God's word. So be a friend, hang out if you can, but keep in mind that pointing them to the Father, to greater joy in repentance and obedience, that's the best way to love them. <clears throat> okay, excuse number three. This is a problem of complacency. And that's, I just don't feel like it, and I don't have time for it. <clears throat> so we live in a busy country, in a busy time. Most of our lives around us, and many, <clears throat> most of the lives around us, and many of our own, are full to overflowing with relatively good things. Considering all that we have received from God and His church, what does it say about our understanding of grace and love if we hoard our blessings to ourselves? Many times it help us, helps to set the focus on things that really matter in life, the things that the Bible directs us as being most important. Think about how God has cared for you, loved you, forgiven you, blessed you, and comforted you. As you think about God's love, forgiveness, and care for you, this thought should cause you, or motivate you, to do the same for others. We love others because God first loved us. Remember that life is not full without Christ. If our friends are not living life the way that God intended them to live, then they aren't living life to the fullest. To choose not to encourage them to live life with Christ is unloving. Let me say that again. To choose not to encourage them to live life with Christ is unloving. Let's take the negatives out of that sentence. To challenge them to live their life with Christ at its center is the most loving thing you can ever do. Think about individuals who have engaged you through your faith and who have challenged you to fight off sin. The Great Commission was meant to have a spreading effect and to not end with you. So what if time is your problem? What if you don't feel like you've got time to disciple others? It might well be that even with an insane schedule, you can do this. It would be good to talk through, it with some, through your schedule with someone else, like a close friend or a pastor, and to find out what a sane schedule might look like for you. It is almost certain that if you look through your schedule, you will find that there are things of lesser value that you could dump to make time to be an encouragement to others in this church. More than anything else, I suspect it comes down to a matter of desire and priorities. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever considered how expectations can cause us to do less in the Christian life. Take, for example, your quiet time. For some of us, if you can't do 30 minutes or an hour of quiet time, with all the good things you envision, like prayer and death study and of the passage and meditating and, and applying it to your life, then many of you, or some of you, won't do it at all. That's an unhelpful expectation. Many of us carry around a similar static expectation of our relationships. We don't have the time to do all the things we might want to help, do to help, so we don't bother doing anything to help. Here's a quote for you. If something is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. 
Is that quote advocating for poor work or laziness? No, it's advocating the, ad, the importance of the job, even when not done to our expectations. Later in this class, we'll, we'll consider how to do Bible study with one another and how to pray together. But if you don't have much time to prepare for a discipleship relationship, consider how you can use the local teaching from your church and preaching ministry as a basis for teaching in discipling relationships. One, you could attend a core seminar class with someone and then meet up for lunch to discuss the content. Meet together to discuss the Sunday sermon. Or just meet with someone to stimulate a discussion about content that other people have prepared and delivered. That is still good discipling. Okay, excuse number four. I don't have anything I can teach. Feeling like you're inadequate. Every Christian has at least one important thing to pass on to others. The gospel of Jesus Christ. At the very least, if you don't feel like you have anything you can teach, you can seek out someone with whom to share the gospel. You might think of the gospel as what God uses to bring unbelievers to salvation in Christ. That is certainly true. But the same gospel that saves us is the same gospel that sanctifies us on a daily basis. As we discussed last week, the lines of evangelism and discipling aren't always very very clearly drawn. Throughout the book of Titus, Paul argues that one of the best things we can do is to remind other believers about the basic truths of the gospel. This is from Titus 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of, to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> whom he poured out on us <clears throat> poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we must constantly remind ourselves and others of the basic truth of the gospel. You can form a good discipling relationship with someone just by spending time going over each of these truths in depth. As Paul says, they are excellent and profitable for everyone. Additionally, you can use books, which we can talk about later, that are just good Christian books. You can read that with somebody, and that would be another way you could disciple. So whatever stage you are at as a Christian, you can always have something you can teach. Your daily life, your prayer, your words, and everything in your life is a means through which you can disciple others. Okay, excuse number five. I'm not gifted to disciple others. There are others more gifted than I am. Let them disciple others. 
We need to recognize that we all have different gifts that we can pass on to younger Christians. It's not simply a matter of theology or expertise in biblical exposition. You can disciple someone by teaching them how to pray diligently and effectively. By simply listening to their struggles and letting them come alongside you and letting them come along with you as you model for them how to live life. An example of that could be a married couple incorporating singles into their life or a young single career man or woman incorporating a college student into their life or a high school student into their life. Discipling is fundamentally about bringing people to God's truth. You are to be a conduit for the truth. If at this point in your Christian life you don't feel competent or confident in teaching others the Bible, then consider reading a good book, good Christian book with someone. If it is a good book, then it includes wisdom and biblical truth that you can discuss and share with someone when you read it over. Discipling is not something you do on your own. Fundamentally, apart from their own understanding of the gospel, the most important thing you can do for a Christian friend is help them get involved in a local church. You want to get your friend involved in your church or any other Bible-believing church so that he or she can be discipled by other people in your congregation who have gifts that you don't have. Remember, it takes a church. Discipling should never be thought of as an individualistic endeavor, but it should be thought of as a community affair. So let's talk now about overcoming fears of discipling. Even if we get past the excuses for not discipling, many of us will still have certain fears about discipling. In fact, it's probably a good thing to have some measure of health or of a healthy, holy fear about the task before you. Recognize the commitment. Discipling is not to be taken lightly, and a little bit of fear is a good thing. In Matthew 18, remember the t- <clears throat> in Matthew 18, remember the time when Jesus welcomed the little children. Many think of this passage as being just about kids. While this certainly does involve children, especially the kids standing right in front of Jesus, our Lord was also making <clears throat> our Lord was also using children as an analogy for how to spiritually deal with any Christian, adults and children alike. In verse six, we can read that you don't want to be causing God's children or any believer to stumble. In 2 Peter 2.1, we find Peter warning people to not follow false teachers. Throughout the Bible, we find warnings against false teachers who lead people astray. You don't want to be one of these, not even in the subtle, smallest sense. By committing to intentionally spending a decent amount of one-on-one time with an individual, we must recognize that we can have a significant influence on their Christian walk, especially if, if they see us as someone with some authority, and they see us as someone to use as their model. We do not want to teach or exemplify falsehood. So we should approach to solving discipline with some holy fear that we would not lead any of God's children in the wrong direction. So what are some fears that we might have as we approach a discipling relationship? We said things like, you might not know what to say. You might say the wrong thing. You might not know how to answer their question. 
you might be fear, uh, fearful that you won't live out a person, perfect Christian life in front of your friend. You might be fearful that you're too immature to help someone. You might fear that you'll fail at this. And you might fear that you won't be liked by the other person. And all of these things, we need to remember that God helps us to overcome fear, failures, and weakness. Not only that, but he finds ways to work through us despite our shortcomings. In 1 Corinthians 16, 10, 11, Paul did not condemn Timothy for his fear, nor does God condemn us. In 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 29, God works through the foolish, lowly, despised, and weak things of the world. In that description, we find that we are included. Remarkably, God at work through us, weak, struggling Christians, He uses these broken vessels to bring truth to others. Praise God that a good ministry of discipleship is not predicated on our giftedness, wisdom, and strength. In 2 Timothy 1, 7, God gives us the strength where we need it. He gave us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. In 1 Timothy 4, 12, Remember what God has given you. Don't let a low view of your abilities discourage you from attempting to be encouraging to other believers, but rather hold fast to the righteousness to which God has called you. Paul encourages Timothy to set an example in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Also remember that we are not perfect. When we stumble, we need to face our mistakes. We need to show those who we disciple, whom we disciple how, we de- how to deal with sin and failures. Model confession, repentance, and prayer of thanks for forgiveness. If you sin against your friend, ask him or her for forgiveness. If you say something wrong, correct it next time. The world does not like to admit sin and weakness. We can model the Christian life by dealing with it in a straightforward and honest honest manner. Okay, despite our fears involved, discipling is a very rewarding process, not only for the disciple, but also for the discipler. It is also a crucial part of the expansion of God's kingdom. Out of his own grace and love, God chose us to do this work. Sometimes we need to take the courage that comes from being an instrument of God and just simply need to plunge in. God will give us strength to do the work he called us to do. We should thank God for all that he has given us in Christ and look forward to the work that he's called us to do, to pass all that we have been given on to other Christians. And after all that I've said this morning, if you are still scared to partake in the ministry of discipling, remember that ultimately God doesn't rely on us, but on his word. The real power of discipling is in the power of God's word and its application in the lives of others. So here are three practical steps we can take this week. I encourage you to do all these. Write out your own barriers and excuses for discipling. Consider the unbiblical reasons that cause you to avoid discipling. Take that list and do what we did today in this class. 
See if the reasons are reasonable in light of Scripture. You will probably find that most of our excuses can be thrown right out of the window once the light of Scripture reflects on them. Two, think about your schedule and think about how you can make an insane schedule more sane so that you have time to start pouring into others. Look particularly at Look particularly for things that you can dump that are of lesser value. For instance, you could stop reading news on your phone and you could have breakfast with somebody or something. (laughs) Take some of the teaching from this course seminar or from the morning sermon and begin to talk about it with your friend this week. Even if it is a very short conversation about truth, that's a step in the right direction. Start, providing, start proving this week that you will no longer hoard the truth. Here's Galatians 5, 13 and 14. If you were called to freedom, brothers, for, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Questions? Any questions on overcoming fear and excuses about discipling? You mentioned good books. Yeah. So, some good books to read on? Good books to read on discipling? I was, um, I, when I was reading that, I was thinking more, not just books about discipling, but just good books about any part of the Christian walk that you could read together with somebody else. Discuss the truths that were discussed in that book. So it doesn't have to be just a book on discipling. Actually, I think, unless you're discipling someone on how to disciple, I think that would be a strange book to read. But good question. Thanks for helping me clarify. I'll just do a shameless plug for Flourish. We're going to do another couple of sessions uh, this winter and the book side by side. Yeah. That the ladies did last summer, the first six chapters. We're going to go through five more chapters this winter, and then more in the summer. But I've been looking through it just in preparation, and I think it's exactly it's not rocket science, right? It's just figuring out how to live life next to somebody else and point them to Yeah. Good. Yeah, Heather. Side by side would probably be my top pick at this at this point, and what I. Yeah, so if you couldn't hear the book recommendation, it's called Side by Side. Who wrote that? Ed Walsh. Okay. Nine Marks has a small one marked ever on discipling. Blue book. I was given it as a gift at one of the uh, congregational meetings. It was pretty good. Yep, the Nine Marks book on discipling is good. Is there such a thing, a biblical concept, such as spreading yourself too thin? And if so, what would prioritizing the relationships look like, if that's the case? I think spreading yourself too thin is a possibility. I just don't think it's really what most of us struggle with. And it me in terms of spreading yourself too thin relationally across too many people. Yes. I think most of us struggle with having too few relationships like this not too many if you did have too many I would think maybe you could encourage the ones that you've been cycling the longest to maybe have let them go spread their wings and, and have them start relationships where they're discipling others 
and then maybe you check in with those people less often. Yeah, I think if, if by too many, I meant probably more not enough maybe commitment on my own end, more just like touching base with people and kind of keeping oh. it like fit, like fit, not really, not deep yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like water rather than diving deep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, could you clarify for me? Discipleship, is this like an, like an agreement between two people or is this just something that naturally occurs between two people? I think sometimes it can be both ways. Um, sometimes someone could approach you and say, hey, I really want to grow in this aspect of my life. Could you help me do that? I mean, the word discipleship wasn't used in that request there, but that is kind of a formal request for discipling. So it could look like that. Or, you know, as I look back on my Christian walk, especially early on, I realize now guys were discipling me when I didn't even know that's what was going on because I didn't really have that category. But they were very intentional in pursuing me, and I didn't ask them to do that. So it can happen both ways. Just don't get a contract out or anything like that. <laughs> How did you feel when you think about what was going on? Oh, I loved it. But I, I honestly, I figured it out, you know, long after it was happening. So um, I love a brother that wants me to grow in Christ. So, I didn't feel like a project. I felt like a new believer who was hungry for any help I could get. If you want to know an, uh, an easy group of people to start with in your life, uh, to just start a relationship like this, think about people in your home group. Um, those are relationships where you see people, you know, three times a month uh, where you guys can have um, conversations, you know, during the opening time when you're just fellowshipping and then you can say, hey, let's grab, let's grab lunch on Saturday or something like that. So if you want a, someone to pick to try to start a relationship like this where you can mutually encourage each other to greater fidelity to the Lord, think about someone in your home group. Okay. Yeah, what would you say are some things, like say, say we are in a, say I'm in a situation where I'm really realizing I, I just have a busy, I need to want to be working to shed, you know, things that are less valuable in order to prioritize this, but what are some things uh, that I could do even in 10 minute little snippets, you know, what, what are ways that I can be starting this even if it's just really basic baby steps? Well, first, let's hear what you guys think. How would you answer Brad's question? What are some small baby steps you think we could start to take as a church to start to lead us down greater discipling of each other? Send somebody a text that you're thinking or praying about. Yeah, I have a relationship with a guy right now in my home group that uh, he really likes texts, so he and I interact on texts more than any other way right now. What else would you guys say? One easy lift for capacity building is just bring the discipleship alongside your normal uh, cadence of life. So, yeah. uh, you know, instead of saying, like, this is like, categorizing things, like, this is discipling time and this is family time or this is recreation time, like, just try and blend. 
Yeah. Another good way I would put that is never do anything alone. You know? Like, the guy that I text with, uh, he lives close to me, and I've, I've invited him to go up to, like, St. Albans to go to the hardware store with me just to try to get some time with them. So try to avoid doing things that you could be doing with somebody else that would give you time with the person. Try to avoid doing them alone. You don't have to do it every time. That might get a little weird, but... (laughs) Hey, I'm going for eggs, so let's go get some eggs. (laughs) How else? Matt? I think it's important that as believers, we need to realize that, yes, we need to be looking to disciple others, but we also need to be trying to find people in the congregation that can disciple us. And I think that someone told me once that, like, find people in the church that are a little more mature than you and seek out those people and let them disciple you. And then in the same token, look around the congregation and find people that you think you can be a blessing to and you can disciple. And so and it goes both ways. Because you, like, like you said, it doesn't matter where you are in the spiritual body. You, you probably are more mature spiritually than someone in the church that you can be a blessing to and you can speak truth into their life. But at the same token, you need that coming the other direction from someone that can do the same for you. So just try to try to figure out those two groups of people and trying to find those in the congregation is really helpful. Yeah, that's great. And I would add a third, third category to those two that you just laid out, which Brad actually shared from his dad last week. So find someone ahead of you that can help disciple you. Find someone behind you that you can help disciple. But then Brad also added the third, which was find someone next to you. That, that, right? What was your dad's quote? Yeah. Someone walk beside you. Someone walk beside you too. So, yeah, think of those three categories. Along with that, I remember our girls when we were starting RGC. They were still at CMC, and they were being mentored and discipled by maybe a year older or two year older students, yeah. and who were being mentored by their youth group leader or whatever, and there was that trickle-down, but then they were speaking into the lives of kids here because they were the oldest. They were the high schoolers. So it's not just our lives, but encouraging our kids to do the same. That's good. Well, how about I pray, and then we'll get ready for the service. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, for loving us and for uh, sending your Son uh, to this earth. And thank you, Lord, that he lived a life that was uh, perfect and that he died on the cross for our sins. And that he also lived a life that was a model for us for how to love others and to lead them into greater understanding and uh, fidelity to your word, Lord. Help us to uh, engage in relationships where we help to mutually encourage each other to walk with you. Uh, help us to disciple others. Help us to overcome any sort of fears or barriers that we have to discipling. Uh, help us to prioritize our time in ways that... Uh, that we put our time towards the things that are more important and we can let go of things that are less important. 
Our Lord, we ask that we would do all these things uh, for your glory and for our joy. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.